Hello everyone, my name is Monita Rajpal. Welcome to The Drawing Board, a WATG podcast where we explore the ideas, issues and trends that are being discussed within the design community today, as well as among clients and customers. On the last episode, we spoke with WATG's Senior Vice President and Managing Director, Monica Cuervo, who, with her 30 years of incredible experience at WATG, shared with us her perspective on what skills and talents are needed for architects, both present and the future, to succeed in an ever-evolving landscape and climate. Today, we are going to have a similar conversation, but from the perspective of an architect who was considered one of WATG's rising stars. Nora Pui is a project designer who joined WATG in 2011 and has worked on numerous concepts and projects in hospitality design. She brings an unwavering passion and excitement to her role, which I was lucky enough to witness during our conversation. Nora joins me from Singapore. Welcome to the podcast, Nora. Thanks for having me, Manita. Thank you so much for making some time for us. I want to begin by asking you what brought you to architecture and design? It was always something that as a kid growing up, I love creating things with my hands. I I cut paper strips and do all sorts of things with my hands. So very crafty. And my family was sort of recommending that I should give architecture a try. So I did. And I stayed on until today. (laughs) (laughs) What has your journey been like up to this point? It is very exciting. It's brought me to a lot of different places. Even through the education years, we've done exchange across different continents. And even as a professional now, you're doing projects in all sorts of places and you're learning so much about everywhere. So it's, it's been amazing. How did you know that this was a career that you could tangibly do as opposed to it being something that you would dream about that, oh, it would be nice if, but actually it was something that you could really be good at? First of all, I think I've always had that love for creating things. And I I know that if I work hard on something and I create something that I really love, it would be, even even if it's not perfect, it'll be kind of (laughs) decent. But uh, what really gave me the confidence was after doing a couple of projects uh, here at WATG and really seeing the built product at the end come true. And it gives you so much satisfaction and it doesn't just stop there. Like you still get social media updates on how that property is doing. It's getting top 10 best in Asia and all sorts of awards start coming in. And it just feels that, hey, maybe you're doing not a bad thing. So where do you believe yes. your your drive comes from? I suppose I always want to be better. Mm-hmm. It's just something that I have in me that I don't think it's good enough. And maybe it's it's sort of pushing yourself down a little bit, but always telling yourself you're not good enough, but just keep trying harder. I guess that pushes me quite a bit. Tell me about some of the more memorable early experiences that you have that really stuck with you and stick with you to this day in the sense that that's what you can refer back to and remind yourself that this is why you do what you do. Definitely something that 
stuck to me for the longest time, and I still recall every moment of it very clearly, was that I attended my first charrette at WATG. This was back a long time ago. Charrette being, we actually go onto the site. This was something that our founders sort of passed it down to us. It's something like a tradition. So what we'll do is we'll go to a site, a remote location, wherever the site is, and we'll sit at the site, just sort of taking it all in, you know, feeling the breeze and having a certain vantage point of a, a cliff or, or something where, wherever you're sitting and just let the energy of the site sort of manifest itself into a sketch as you try to draw it out, whatever that's in your vision. And I had the experience of doing that many years ago and it was amazing. One thing was definitely you feel so much spiritual and emotional connection to this, mm. to the site. It helps you create a vision at the get-go it creates a concept at the get-go but not just that later on because you've had that personal and emotional connection to the site you feel that throughout the journey of the project you feel that you need to do what's best for it to do it justice so it was a almost like a a belief in a way that propels you all the way through so that was really memorable and I loved it <laughs> that's such a great story and it's such a great memory to have it's not something that that is perhaps intellectual, it's an emotional reaction to something. And when something is emotional, it's so much stronger, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Technology these days, you don't have to visit a site to understand a site. Pretty much you get 3D images, you get Google Earth, you get um, panoramic pictures, all these sort of inform you about the site, but it just doesn't replicate that human connection that you have with the place. Mm. So I think it's something that we used to do pre-pandemic and I hope we continue doing. Being on site is something very uh, important to us. How did that actually, It's a, that's a really good point that you bring up. How did the pandemic change the way you build connections to a site? Unfortunately, that whole spiritual personal site, it wouldn't be as good as if you were actually physically there. We, we just have to do with the means of all this technological information and data that came in, and we have to base it off that. But we still do our regular sort of research and analysis of the region and the context, the culture. Mm. It's just lacking that personal touch in yeah. a way. So many of us, when we're starting out in our career, we have a vision. We have an idea of how we want it to be or how we want to feel or what success would mean for us. What was your vision and what is your vision today? I don't have very, uh, <laughs> I don't have really very corporate sort of uh, big ambitions or, or vision. My vision or, or what I want to see myself doing is just being able to do a project in every corner of the earth. And this is, this is a place that, you know, brings you to the most remote places that you'll ever think of. And sometimes you never heard of the place. But it's so great because you learn about the place, the region, the people, the culture. So, you know, as many projects in different places as possible, I think I'll be really happy. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I know that this is a podcast and it's audio, so we're not seeing your facial reaction, but I, if I could just describe it, because I can see you on, on this, it's your eyes light up and you just look so excited. And that is such a brilliant and amazing quality to have, especially when describing what you do for a living, what you do for work. I hope you never lose that. <laughs> 
I'm turning red, <laughs> but no one's seeing. <laughs> but yes, <laughs> I hope I don't lose that. That's, that's, that's always probably, been a dream. That's probably one of the, you know, that kind of excitement is one of the qualities of what makes a good architect. Obviously, there are the technical aspects of it too, the technical skills. But what else do you believe, aside from the technical skills, are the qualities that would make a good architect? Definitely, you have to have the passion. I think if it's just a job and if it's just something to to complete day to day and you don't have passion, it just doesn't drive you the extra mile. I think when you have passion, it also makes you believe in your vision or your concept all the way through. And it makes you sort of dig deeper and ask yourself, why why do we do this and why do we come to this decision? Is it good enough? That's one. And and the other thing is, I think being visionary is very critical. So these days, when you do a project, it's not just about ticking the boxes of what the client asks for. In a way, you need to think outside the box on how this project could impact the region or impact the community directly around it and also how it could impact the industry that you're in globally. Mm. So it's like a two, threefold thing and, and your vision doesn't just stop at where the client expects you to, but you sort of expand it out a little bit more. I think being visionary is a little, it's quite critical uh, these days. How has the role of architect changed today than say 20 years ago? I think the uh, the role of an architect is constantly changing. I I feel that we wear so many hats <laughs> in a day. We we have to be good at selling things. We have to be good at technical skills. We have to be a good political person to get people to agree to things. So it's always changing with society and what society demands from you. But I feel that definitely with the growth of technology and software and everything mm. like that, the role of an architect now, it cuts out a lot of that hands-on skills and more of working together with the computers to get the outcome that you want. And it's sort of directing things a little bit, definitely changing with the landscape every time. How would you define talent? Talent is, I mean, yes, there are a handful of people on earth who are very gifted, but I, I feel that talent is something that can be nurtured and can be trained. I feel that perhaps there is maybe 25% of that little gift of flair that you have, a little spark inside you, and then the rest of the 75%, you could build it up and practice and just put yourself through all the learning that you need to get to where you want to be. Mm. I feel that at WATG, we are pretty fast at the early stage to see the spark. That early spark in certain employees, they tend to show inclinations towards certain things. And we pick that up really quickly and we try to put them through training or courses or whatever, and then they get to where they would like to be. So we, I think talent should be nurtured, definitely, even though it could go a little bit not your perfect sort of regimented pathway of, of a career, but it could lead you somewhere very interesting. And the different layers of talent, you know, from all sorts of backgrounds coming together is what makes the organization very rich and deep. And all the opinions that come through are just, just amazing. Is that what happened to you? Um, <laughs> um, I guess I had a little flair that they picked up long time ago. 
and I didn't, I didn't think I could do this position eight years ago or something. I didn't think I could be a project designer. And they sort of just picked me out and kind of said, oh, why don't you try on this project? Why don't you try designing that? And it slowly gave me the confidence. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Am I actually doing this role? Yeah, there, there was a lot of trust for mm-hmm. sure. And they, they picked it out so early. I didn't think I could do it, but they trusted me and it helped get me to where I am. What was that experience like for you? It was great. (laughs) Uh, It was a couple of years and then I got promoted to project designer and I started reviewing other projects at the same time. It was sort of, yeah, it was, it was a great experience, I think. How did you develop or at what point do you start to develop your own identity as a designer, as an architect? I really feel that identity is not something, because we have so many different projects in all sorts of locations, um, climates, that client briefs are entirely different. There are so many different factors to all the projects that we do. It's really hard to sort of have that visual identity across mm. your projects. Mm-hmm. It's not something that you repeat, like a signature that you repeat across because everyone's briefs are different. So I find that as a designer, as an identity, I feel that the identity lies on how deep and how analytical that you go behind and come up with solutions to satisfy all the client's requirements. Do you remember when you were able to start to feel confident to share your opinions, to share your vision? It wasn't, it was uh, like a photo that was (laughs) candidly taken by my colleague where I was sitting down on the computer with all the senior leaders standing behind me and sort of presenting to them what I thought would be the concept for a project. And I didn't know that photo was taken. So it was only shown to me like a couple of days after. Then I realized, hey, I could hold, you know, I could present to all my senior peers. And, you know, it it was a good design conversation. And that really, that physical evidence really gave me that confidence that, you know, maybe I could do this. Do you remember that moment? At that moment, when I was explaining the design, no, because I didn't look back and see who's sitting behind (laughs) me. I wasn't looking, but I was so engrossed into what I'm talking about on the screen. And just seeing that the other side of the view Mm. with me on the front and everybody at the back, it was like a gravitational pull and how significant that was. So yeah, I, I, at that moment, I was really in it. So I don't remember seeing their faces. <laughs> that's, that's such an amazing image to have. I mean, even as I'm thinking about it now, to be able to have that image as a reminder of a moment where you are engrossed in something that you are so passionate about and you're not thinking about the nerves or you need confidence uh, to talk or present this. It's literally just about you in this moment and then having, you know, your peers and, and, and those in the senior levels of, of the company, of the company for which you work, are listening. Because that's so important, isn't it? To feel like you are being listened to and that you're seen and you're heard. That was a project that was, it wasn't my project. I was helping out to develop the concept. And they gave me the trust to work on the concept and they actually spent time sat around and listened to what I had to say and I think you have to give people the chance to speak out yeah and in in addition to trust what do you think firms like WATG 
can learn from a new generation of architects? A new generation of architects, what they learn in school is very different from the ones that graduated, say, 10 years ago. The methodology and the process of workflow is entirely different. So I would say majority of the ones working in an organization come from the school of thought where we have something in our mind and we use our hands or the pens and we tell the computer what is on our mind. So it's like Mm -hmm. a one-way flow. Whereas I think the new generation of architects, what they learn in school is very computational. So in a way, they set up a set of parameters. If you give them a brief, they set up the parameters and they work together with the computer to generate infinite options. So it's almost like a collaboration together with the computer and not sort of because the computer will be able to tell you and give back a dozen of options that you've never even thought about. So it's a very different workflow. Mm. And we're definitely starting to get into this and learn this uh, as quickly as we can, because it's, it's fascinating. A lot of places are doing that now. It's that tech savvy generation that we're seeing now. 20 years ago is actually not that long of a time, you know, when you think about it and and the space of time, but the young professionals that are coming through, they're so tech savvy that people from my generation too, you know, I mean, I'm still from the generation of the dial phone, you know, with a rotary (laughs) dial and we didn't even have call waiting or any of that stuff. So yeah, it's being open enough to learn and to accept that things are moving really fast technology changes really fast and and it's a constant evolution, isn't it? In your career and studying and being open to that. Are you seeing that where you are now? Definitely. I I think what is the biggest inspiration of all is our CEO, Dave, he himself taught, he taught himself Rhino, I think in a span of one week or something. And he's from, you know, really old school architecture, but he is able to teach himself a new software that Mm. Most of us don't use because it's so new and so different, but that really almost sets a tone for all of us. In addition to seeing senior staff being open and humbling themselves really to learning new technology, what do you think you can learn from the older generation of architects? Every day we're just learning so much from them, uh, very different ways. And the ones today, the tech savvy generation, they wouldn't know all the technical or operational experience that the older generation would have because they've seen so much. They know it wouldn't work. They know what would work. And they're able to advise you based on what they've seen before or experienced before in their career. So if you propose something, it's almost like a sounding board. You could Mm. get a check from them whether or not what they feel from their experience, if that's going to work. So there's so much to learn from them. How much does ego come into play in your profession? There's ego everywhere. Everybody has a little bit or some maybe quite a bit of ego in them ego in a way I mean depends on your level of authority if you're just pushing all the other ideas away and you know just pushing people down that's not good but if you do have you're really visionary and you really stick to your guns and that's the only way and no other way just to uphold that vision of yours I I think it could be a good thing actually Sometimes not accepting second best, Mm. at the end, it could be a good thing. What are some of the design concepts that are being explored today that were perhaps not part of the conversation before? What we've been doing, I guess a lot of practices have been doing is as a design concept, we would normally create narratives. And narratives has been, you know, it's been 
done for many decades. And what narratives does is it's a very useful tool or a medium to carry a vision so that everybody believes in that vision. And it also embodies the spirit of the design all the way through to the end product. But what we see with nowadays, the clients are also gradually evolving. They're becoming more savvy. I mean, they're Pinterest savvy. They have their, they curate their own Instagram following. I would say aesthetic is not something that is to, to strive for anymore. It's almost like a given. You have to hit it. What do you think the architect of the future needs to know? Definitely the whole notion about sustainability. It's been said everywhere. Everybody's got a corporate motive and they, they sell that they practice sustainability. But I think we really need to look at it closely. It's not just something that we say we do, but we mm. actually have to believe and put it into practice. Even though the clients go like, oh, it's, you know, let's not waste money on this. Let's, you know, put the money somewhere else. I think we need to push because we have a role to shape what the future would be. And this is not like five years down the line in, in terms of their commercial target. This is like 20 years down the line, 50 years down the line, how it would affect everything else. For example, energy consumption or water consumption or things like that. It would help leaps and bounds if you have planned that at the very beginning. Things that could affect in the long run, I think it should be definitely be discussed at the get-go of a project. What we're looking at now with events that are happening around the world, whether it's unprecedented floods or drought or fires, heat, mm. energy, the use of fossil fuels, the use of old school resources as opposed to new technology to live. Homes, buildings, structures all need to have those kind of conversations because it's not a what if scenario, it is a how do we protect this home this building, this structure from those things that are very real threats, right? I feel that we're, uh, in terms of construction technology, we're still decades behind in terms of what the research has been doing about materials, for example. There's so many interesting research construction materials that are happening, but there's just so little that make it out into the market and is mm. actually put into practice these days. Why do you think so, that is? A lot of it has to do with cost, just the cost of however much that new material would cost as compared to something that is widely produced today, or they could get it easily. That is one of them. And habits. As an architect, if you're, you know, you've done concrete so many times, why would you use a different ashcrete when you're not very sure about it? So I guess the education about new materials needs to reach really far and that there's so many alternatives out there that we don't just stick to one that we've been using for 50 years. Let's try to adapt with time because our environment is not getting any better. So let's try mm. to help in a way. Do you feel that sense of urgency that this change in mindset and practices and habits needs to happen now? Definitely. And we have been actively playing that role as well. With a lot of clients and projects, we try to propose, why don't we use this? It would be better for the environment. Let's not use like a, a rubber material. Let's use natural wood, a recycled wood. It just biodegrades better and, and things like that. So we do try to convince the client as much as possible, but we do feel also at the same time, so much pushback from clients, developers, owners. 
also we need to look at how we normally build structures. If buildings are not, you know, in a certain climate, it's forcing you to turn on the AC at, let's say if outside is like 25, 26, you feel kind of warm inside, there's something wrong. And we need to start questioning ourselves how to make the environment inside better. And that's how we approach the walls, the roof and, and all sorts of things too. It has to be really adaptive to the climate is what I'm trying to say. Mm. Let's not try to put a glass because it needs to look wow and funky. Let's not try to do a glass building in a tropical climate. It's just, yeah, it's, it's, not it, going to help. it's about thinking smarter, right? And being more confident. It's going back to what you were saying. If you want to be able to sell an idea, you have to be visionary and really confident in that yeah. idea in order for it to be sold and Definitely. built. I want to switch gears a little bit, just going back to a little bit about the design conversations that are being had today. Talk to me a bit about designing in the metaverse. Oh, <laughs> I had the opportunity to work on a metaverse uh, design competition a couple of months ago. So I had no idea what metaverse was last year. I, I didn't own any cryptocurrency. I don't own any cryptocurrencies, but I was given this chance and I started looking into it about what you can do. It's really interesting. It's almost like an escapism. So you enter to escape your physical surrounding. And a lot of the examples that we saw were very visually loaded and sound loaded with lots of things and happening. And I felt like as an approach, all of us try to embed some of the WATG DNA into the competition. So we try to curate the journey or the experience in a metaverse in a way that you would curate your journey for a hotel guest. So it's a little bit of that compression, release, and discovery journey all the way through. So in the end, it's almost like a very sculpted piece uh, Mm. of space, something that you can't do in real life. As a metaverse player, you could jump all sorts of heights and stuff, which is almost anti-gravity, but definitely opens a lot of opportunities for what we can do in a metaverse it's like it's not bound to any physical limitation that's like a playtime for you almost isn't it yes <laughs> yes we actually had a party with the whole office in a metaverse that was really cool did you <laughs> yes <laughs> at a friday friday night party <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like fun that sounds yeah. like a lot of fun actually um so as we draw this to a close, I want to ask you again about the vision for your career. How do you feel it's going? I think it's going, it's going all right. It's, it's on path. It's on track. I'm discovering new places and I'm getting a bit more confident in what I'm doing. What more do you want to do? I just have this, before I retire, I would love to be involved or leading some sort of a legacy project that I could leave behind and, and, be happy to retire but that's a long time down the line so yes well I I think you should be so proud of all that you've accomplished thus far you're still so young and to see that someone like you has been doing this so well is is a real inspiration to see and I congratulate you for all that you've accomplished so far thank you thank you no the the, the whole experience is very humbling every new project every place you learn it's very humbling so yeah I want to keep learning and keep growing (laughs) Nora thank you so much for your time thank you Marita thank you very much
That was Nora Pui, project designer at WATG, speaking to me from Singapore. You've been listening to The Drawing Board, a WATG podcast. I'm Monita Rajpal. Until next time, thank you for joining us.